Hey, welcome to Access. John here. We're going to be sponsoring a project graduation on June 1st uh, for graduating seniors. It's going to run from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., so an all-night lock-in. And we are in need of financial sponsors and adult chaperones to make this event successful. So uh, we really hope you'll keep that in prayer and follow the Lord's direction. If you need more information, you can get in contact with me. Also, if you like golf, there's an associational golf tournament on May 17th. And if you want to be a part of it, it's $25 a person, and you're going to need a partner. Today we're going to talk about how we can continue to do good in a world that's pretty much evil. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42, because this message is entitled, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. Have you ever tried to help someone only to have it blow up in your face? Of course you have. We all have. And it happens so frequently that we've adopted a little phrase that we tend to remind ourselves of every time it happens. You see, when things blow up in our faces for doing good, we say, well, I guess no, de- no good deed goes unpunished. And when we say that, what we're really saying is, this is the thanks I get? I do good? I try to help you and this is how I'm repaid? I'm just trying to help because I care about you and this is how you treat me? Again, this is a consistent reality in the life of someone who loves God and is trying to do His work. Sooner or later, we get taken advantage of. Sooner or later, we bless someone and they turn around and they spit in our faces. Understand, I'm not trying to sound negative. I don't consider myself a pessimist. I consider myself a realist. I'm just trying to look at things the way that they really are. So let's be honest with one another. When this happens, it hurts, right? I mean, it hurts to try to help someone and them to turn around and betray you or or spit in your face, so to speak, or maybe literally. When we hurt, we don't really want to do good anymore, right? At least until we're not hurting or upset anymore, we might not ever help that person again. We think maybe someday, somewhere, somebody will need help and we can do good again. Maybe not even for that particular person. I don't know. Just not right now. Even when we do help in the future, though, we will likely be be repeating those same words all over again, right? Well, I guess no good deed goes unpunished. Well, today I want to address that. Today I want to address those feelings of betrayal and disappointment and that feeling of being unappreciated. Today I want to address the shame that we might feel because we feel so stupid that we could allow ourselves to be taken advantage of. Today, I want to evaluate our motivations for doing good and see if we can adopt a godly perspective of why no good deed goes unpunished. Today, I want to ask the question, how might we do good and not be crushed when things blow up in our faces? That is what I believe today's scripture is going to speak to. So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42, and we'll begin this study. Let's uh, begin by reading verses 22 through 28. This is what it says. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple of the portico of Solomon. Uh, The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you were not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
Well, on this first passage of Scripture, I just want to point out that we do good because God is good, not because it's expected of us. In the first couple of verses, uh, the Apostle John gives us the setting that Jesus is in. He talks about how he's, he's at the Feast of Dedication that took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And he says Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon, otherwise known as Solomon's porch. Now, if you're unsure what the Feast of Dedication is and want to find it in the Old Testament, don't bother looking. It's not in there. Um, this is not one of the three major festivals that God commanded the Israelites to observe. Those three festivals are the Festival of Weeks, the Festival of Tabernacles, and the Passover. This is what's known as the Feast of Dedication or the Festival of Lights. Now, you still see the festival being practiced today by Jews around Christmas time. Today, it's referred to as Hanukkah. Now, if you're uncertain as to why this is celebrated when God never commanded the Israelites to observe it, it has more to do with history than Scripture. In 160 B.C., before Christ, the uh, Syrian leader Antiochus Epiphanes uh, conquered Jerusalem, and after he outlawed all religious practices, he went into the temple and sacrificed a pig, an uh, unclean animal, on the altar to Zeus. So, uh, uh, an unclean animal to a pagan god. And this began a time period of guerrilla warfare where a Hellenistic Jew uh, in 168 B.C. named Judah Maccabee, he led an army to overthrow Syrian rule, and and he signed a contract with Rome for protection. Now, Rome had its own endeavors and stuff, but basically the conquering Jews overthrew um, this pagan ruler, and then they set aside eight days to cleanse the temple. Now, uh, this is why it's known as the Festival of Lights and why they ate, light eight candles uh, during Hanukkah. So, a little, little history lesson there. This is why, uh, so this is where Jesus was, but it says he was in Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. So, he came for this festival, and he's in a place called Solomon's portico. Now, if you look in Scripture... The temple wasn't instructed to have a porch. God is very specific about how many cubits wide and how many cubits long and how many cubits tall the temple is commanded to be. Yet here we see that they have a porch, even though it's not commanded. And the reason why is because when Herod rebuilt Solomon's destroyed temple, he included this area as a gathering place for people to gather in. In the shade, it gave shade in the hot days, and it protected them from rain and the elements during the winter months. And so, because it wasn't commanded to be there by God, it was tacked on later on and known as Solomon's porch or portico. So Jesus was under Solomon's porch, and um, the Jews looked at him. They came to gather around him and said, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are Christ, tell us plainly. And look how Jesus responds. He says, I've already told you, and you do not believe. Now, there's a reason for this discrepancy. Like, why? When did you tell us? Jesus told him many times. Jesus uh, was obviously the Messiah that would come. He performed miracles on several occasions so far, and he already has claimed to be the light of the world, the bread of life, the source of living water, and the good shepherd. However, at every single turn, the Jewish leaders would not confirm that he was the Messiah. So it's kind of like playing tennis. They kind of look at Jesus, and they look at the, the religious leaders. They look at Jesus, and they look at the religious leaders. You see, the people look to the Jewish leaders for confirmation, almost like a, a business meeting in some churches where one person will say something, and everybody looks to that one individual, like, are we going to do this? And they'll nod their head, and like, oh, yes, 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 yes we're going to do this. Well, this is why in last week's passage, Jesus called the, the Jewish leaders robbers and thieves, and even addressed that his sheep did not follow them 
because they are strangers. He's saying, people who really are my sheep believed me, and they didn't look to you. In fact, they looked to you, or might have looked to you, and you said, no, it's not. And they said, yeah, yeah, no, I don't need you to tell me whether or not this is the Messiah. I know this is him. So the Jews wanted to hear it. These Jews wanted to hear it from his own mouth so they could take it back to the religious leaders and say, he said he was the Messiah, and you say he's not. So who's right? But if you notice... Jesus didn't give them ammunition. In fact, uh, Jesus finds that they find some ammunition of their own. So he said, I already told you, and you don't believe. In other words, this isn't about me, you, and the Jewish leaders. This is between you and God. This is strictly between you and me. You don't have to look for them, to them for confirmation. My sheep hear my voice and believe. Now notice what he says in verse 25. He says, the works I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. The works that I do should be enough. Talk is cheap. Stop listening to the words and look at what I've done. That has already been enough for my sheep to believe. Now I love it in uh, John chapter 4, he he helps the woman at the well. He, He really didn't even do a miracle for her other than he knew who she was. And that was enough for her to believe. Because, as Jesus said, my sheep know my voice but look what he says in verse 26 but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep every other week i'm doing a bible study with some friends on the book of john and i get to go back because we're actually behind we're in john 8 this this week we went through um and uh i'm in john 10 so i'm a little ahead in preaching but i'm i get to go back over what i preach so it's just kind of re really good for me and that I'm able to kind of just focus on things that I might have missed. Well, in John 8, Jesus told the people that challenged them, your father is the devil. And if you look there and you look here, you see the people don't seem to be affected by his words. Every single time they pick up stones to stone Jesus, it's not for the reason that we might would want to stone somebody. And I'll get to the reason why in just a second. For now, just think about how offensive it would be for someone to come up to you and me and say, the reason you're sinning over here is because you're not saved. See, when believers don't act the way that maybe we think they should, that's that's commonly the first thing that we jump to. Well, they 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 don't know Jesus. It's because they're not saved. I've even had people accuse me of that. And not saying that I'm above everybody, I'm just saying I know that I'm saved. People have accused me of not truly being saved. That's even come from my own family. Now, that is offensive. That makes me want to pick up rocks and kill somebody, right? Because that that's not, don't, don't call me the, the, the son of Satan. Don't, don't say that, that I'm not saved. That's offensive. But see, these people didn't seem to be phased by that. It was for a different reason. Even when Jesus told them they were the devil, I mean, like, they weren't his sheep. That's not something we want to hear, but for them, it just wasn't, that wasn't what they were concerned about. It's for a different reason, and again, we'll get into that in just a second. What I want to address before we move into that is this. Those who love Jesus do good. It's not a question of if, but when. Look in verses 27 and 28. What we see here is a huge release for us to evaluate why we do good. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Before we dive into that particular verse, let's do some quick evaluating of our motivations to do good. Have you ever felt pressure from the church to behave? 
maybe it's been while uh, I don't know. Maybe you're past this. Maybe maybe you you you've not experienced this in a long time. Maybe you're experiencing this now. I don't know. Have you ever felt like you've had to compose yourself? You had to be composed and collected before you walked into church. Now, I told you many times that when I was a kid, and I come from a pastor's family, we had one bathroom as kids, and we fought like cats and dogs getting ready for church. I mean, we were breathing out murderous threats, and we, we, we expressed bitterness and sometimes rage. We were angry at the, each other. But as soon as we walked through the doors of the church, oh, hey, yet we're one great big loving family. That's the pressure I'm talking about. That we don't feel like we can be honest about who we really are at church. I can't come to church and say, I just had a fight with my wife. Guys, I'm just not feeling it today because I just had a fight with my wife. And honestly, let's just be honest. When somebody comes up to you at church and says, hey, how you doing? They don't want to hear. Well, um, you know, I just uh, punched my wife in the face and she can't come because she's got a black eye. And, all. you know, we don't do that. People don't want to hear that. And, and, And for that, that might be a little added to that little bit of pressure, which, by the way, I would never hit my wife in the eye if, if anything, she would turn around and kick my butt. So anyway, I just want to tell you, okay, just want to tell you that we feel like we can't be honest about who we really are at church. That's the pressure I'm talking about. And I want to tell you, my name is John Waller. And I've got problems. And that is why this verse is so important. Even when my life is a mess. Even when I don't behave the way that I think I should. Even when I don't behave the way others think that I should. I still belong. I still have a place in God's church. Now take that pressure and weigh it next to our motivations to do good. See, sometimes we can feel like doing good is a requirement of keeping our salvation. But wait, John, didn't you just say talk is cheap and look at my actions? Well, we have to be careful not to get the cart before the horse here. Listen, we are released from requirements. We are released from prerequisites. We don't do good because we have to. We do good because we love God. Look at it this way. Do you want to be married to someone who says, I'm only doing this for you because you said I have to? Wouldn't you rather be released from that and be married to someone who says, I'm doing this for you because I'm madly in love with you. I'm doing this for you because it gives me great pleasure to honor you. Wouldn't you want to be married to someone who said that? Why would we ever think that God wants the kind of relationship with us where we say, I'm only doing this because you told me I had to? That's not the relationship we're called to have with the Father. And guess what? Listen, we have a safety net. No matter how worldly, no matter how much flesh we act out of, no matter how unloving we have the capability of being, we are still in the hands of Christ. Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. We are his even if we don't feel like we are. We are his even if others don't feel like we are. We are his even when we might not feel like we want to be his. We are his and no one can snatch us out of his hand. Picture this. Imagine walking beside a railroad track with your three-year-old. You tell your three-year-old, hey, don't let go of my hand because if you do, you could fall and be seriously injured or killed by a train. I do this with my kids in the parking lot. I make them hold my hand as we're walking into HEB or we're walking into the church. 
So your three-year-old might hold on, but see, sometimes a three-year-old's mind tends to wander. Sometimes they want to leave your side and go see what's on the other side of the railroad track. Or, hey, look, I found a penny in the parking lot. Would you, as a loving parent, say to yourself, well, I told him to hold on. If he goes and gets hit by a train or a car, well, it's his fault. I told him not to let go. He let go. No, you would make sure that even if he's not trying to hold on to your hand, you would continue to hold on to his. Listen, that is God's relationship with us. No one can snatch us out of his hand. We have security in our salvation that even if we let go of him, he's not going to let go of us. And with this understanding, now we have the proper foundation of how we can do good. We can do good not because we're required to, but when we, have the, we can do good because we have the relationship where he's never going to let go of us. And because of that, We love him. Because we love him, we do good. We do good because if God is in us, he will work through us. We can do good without fear of condemnation or judgment or unbearable pressure from the church or from God. We can do good because God is good. I want to keep reading. Verse 29, he says, Uh, Jesus says, my father who has given them to me, talking about his sheep, is greater than all. And no one, again, no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Now, I just want you to see this. In this passage, and and consistently throughout the New Testament, uh, especially in the Gospels, Jesus' good deeds, the good deeds uh, of God, don't go unpunished. Okay? If you look at this passage of Scripture, and even in John chapter 8, when Jesus called them children of Satan, you don't see them pick up stones until Jesus did one thing in particular. Every single time this happens. It wasn't until Jesus claimed to be God that they were ready to kill him. In fact, when Jesus went to the cross, they crucified him for what they thought was heresy. You can't say you're God. You're just a man. We're going to kill you and show you otherwise. Well, turns out, as Jesus is God, he rose from the dead. Now, if anyone ever says to you, Jesus never claimed to be God, ask them this question. Then why why did the Jews want to kill him then? Why, why did the Jews want to kill him so badly if he never claimed to be God? Because every single time they pick up stones or try to trap him or eventually kill him, crucify him on the cross, it was because he made himself equal with the Father. In John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John has consistently, over and over again, shown that Jesus was and is divine. He is God. The issue was that these people didn't know how to comprehend that a man could be God, which is a lot about how people today respond to saying, well, well, Jesus never said he could be, he was God. He did. He did. That's why they wanted to kill him. Not that it wasn't possible to comprehend. Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And he responded, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter got it. Why Peter and not these people? Well, Jesus told them in verse 26, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. They didn't believe because it had not been granted to them by the Father. 
And Jesus says in verse 29, My father gave me my sheep, and he is greater than, uh, than all. Again, we see him say, No one can snatch them out of the father's hands. But look what happens next. They're not ready to stone him until he says these words, I and the father are one. What he says, I am God. They pick up stones to stone him, and Jesus asks them in verse 32, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of these are, are you stoning me? Which, which one are you going to pick? I mean, was it whenever, I, whenever I, I healed the man that was blind? What, what, was it when, you know, what, was it when uh, I walked on water? Was it when I fed 5,000? Which, 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 go ahead, tell me. Which one are you going to stone me for? And they respond by saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Now, this is common knowledge, so I know I'm not telling you something that you don't already know, because you know that it's not for the generosity or the benevolence that people can take your hand out and then turn around and spit in your face, right? I mean, you know that. It's not because of the good work. It's because either their definition of good is different or because the, quote, good works didn't continue without question. I mean, I kid you not, we regularly meet with people who need help. And if we don't help them exactly the way they wanted us to, some of them have yelled at us. They didn't get exactly what they wanted, so they're angry at us. I mean, that's happened to you, right? I can't help you the way exactly the way you want me to. And so they respond with hostility. And it's not like we didn't help them. We did. They just didn't get exactly what they wanted. But the moment we as a church say, well, I guess no, no good deed goes unpunished. The help stops here. Guess what? We're wrong. We are wrong. You know, if we wanted to, we could, we could produce some scripture taken out of context to stop doing good and justify our response when people come to us for help. Bible says, let he who doesn't work not eat. You know, and, you know we, we can come up with all kinds of scripture. But consider just for a second that Jesus did good and they killed him for it. I mean, they killed him for it. You might say, well, they didn't condemn him for the good works. They condemned him for the her heresy. That's what they said. But do you think it's accidental that Jesus brought up his good works? Do you also think it's accidental that even though Jesus was treated horribly and many attempts were made on his life that he continues his good works? I mean, this isn't the last we hear about Jesus doing miracles. In fact, next week, we're going to talk about one of the biggest miracles he ever did. Jesus pointed to his good works because they testified that he and the Father are one. Now, the irony is here is that the people claimed to be of God, but they were so ignorant of God that they couldn't recognize the works of the Father or the one whom the Father had sent. Before we move on, I just want you to understand that as a child of good, a God doing good is not optional. That's what God does. And if we're going to follow Christ and God resides in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will do good because God will work through us. And sometimes... People are so ignorant of God, they can't recognize God working through us. They can't recognize the good we're doing. They might take advantage. And as frustrating as that can be, consider this. Haven't you also been there before God opened your eyes? Haven't you also have good done to you? and you didn't appreciate it? Maybe you got angry because it wasn't exactly what you wanted. God is the difference. 
God makes the difference. God opens our eyes. And if people respond (laughs) to your good, to the good you do, I should say, by spitting in your face, one of the hardest things to do, but what absolutely needs to be done, is to pray for them. That God would open their eyes and soften their heart. I want to keep reading verse 34. Uh, Jesus says, Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, I could preach a whole sermon on that one verse. We're going to have to move on. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the work of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him. Look what he said. I have fathers in me and I'm in the father and they they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp I love that Jesus is a ninja and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing and he was staying there and many came to him and were saying while John performed no sign yet everything John said about this man was true and many believed in him there you see the good works testify to the world that God lives in us, and if they will surrender to him, God will live in them. So in this passage, Jesus refers to Psalms 82.6. This passage is referenced, um, it's used as a reference, and it references the responsibility of rulers to judge over the people. So in essence, uh, they have a responsibility to play the role of God by delivering justice. As the leaders, that's your role. And he says that they are gods with a lowercase g. And he does this to reiterate his point. Now, Jesus brings up this verse not to undermine his point that he is the actual God, but that people don't seem to have a problem with this passage. They just didn't like Jesus making himself out to be God. And again, Jesus references his works. You see that. He says, if I don't do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him and he eluded their grasp. Uh, again, I, I, I just picture like Batman and Commissioner Gordon here. He just poof, vanishes. And, and if that happened to us, I mean, I, I laugh about this. If that happened to us, like you're trying to get somebody and all of a sudden they just vanish. Wouldn't that cause you to go, um, guys, we might be wrong about this guy. He, he might actually be God. I don't know how he did that. But this is... This is what I want to say about the works of Christ, and then we'll close. This is a reference point for believers everywhere. Talk is cheap. Look at the works. Now, if Jesus simply said all the things but never backed them up with action, no one would be a believer today. What freedom Jesus had when standing in the face of his attempted murderers and saying, you don't believe me, but look at my works. Don't they line up with God? Imagine having that very same freedom and possibly even responding the same way. People can accuse us of not knowing God because they don't do what we th- they think we should do. And imagine having the freedom of being able to say in return, Look, look at what I've been doing. Can you really say that God doesn't reside in me because I'm not behaving or I don't do the good that you think I should do? Not that we should get all the credit for doing good, because without God in us, we wouldn't do good at all. Let's let's face it. Let's be honest. Good works are done because God enables us to do them. 
No, I'm speaking about the ability to have the security of the believer and the assurance of our salvation even when it's in question. I'm talking about being the light of the world when the world hates the light. Do do you know why no good deed goes unpunished? It's because it's a device of Satan to beat us down to the point where we will stop doing good. Imagine having the resolve of Christ, though, where where they could beat us down and be coming to kill us to the point we have nothing left and we still do good. Guess what? That power lives in you. Not by your own ambition or your own drive or your own resolve, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Having the opportunity to share with others when they ask, how are you still able to do good when we're here to kill you? And you're able to respond because God is good and he lives in me and so I do his work. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why in verse 42, many believed in Jesus. Because even though no good deed goes unpunished, no good deed also goes unnoticed by the Father. Now as the church, we are called to be the salt and light in the world. We do good because God is good. And you know what? We're allowed to be disappointed and even hurt when our good is returned with evil. And this doesn't mean that we should throw our pearls before swine and throw all caution in the wind. I'm going to help everybody. I don't care if I get hurt. That's foolish. But listen, that's why we need God. So we can, through Him, process and work through all of that hurt and those, those disappointing feelings and allow Him to use it for His glory. We filter our desires through him so he can show us his desires. You know, it's kind of cliche, but it is absolutely true. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And because we are his, we will do good. Even when it doesn't make worldly sense. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.